0: I'd love for you to get your Bibles out and open them right up to the book of Micah. Okay? All right? We're okay with that? <laughs> you know, as we, as we head into, we're in December now, and, and there's no rule, there's no rule hard and fast that we have to talk about Christmas or anything, but I, I, I think it's very important that we don't just relegate the story of the coming of the King of Kings and just say, well, that's a seasonal thing, or it's a holiday message, right? You know, the resurrection doesn't just belong in March and April. The nativity doesn't just belong in December. This is the story of how the world changed, of how, of how God kept His promise, of how death and hell were defeated once and for all. So the next three weeks, we're going to talk about... Um, the Old Testament prophecies tied with the New Testament prophecies and the reality in Christ that we've been waiting for. In fact, we're going to talk about that waiting, that we've been waiting. That was what, I mean, that, that was the message. That was the, the hope is we've been waiting for you, Jesus. We've been waiting for the Messiah. Not everybody was waiting. There's a difference between religious waiting and actual faith-based waiting. Yeah. Right? There's a whole bunch of religious people that said we're waiting for the Messiah, but when he came, they're like, but it couldn't be the Messiah because they weren't actually waiting for the Messiah. It becomes a dogma. It becomes something you teach your kids. It becomes songs that you sing, but you don't actually believe. But those that were waiting were looking. That's what faith is. I mean, if if you're waiting in faith, you're looking. You're looking for the promise. You're searching. You're seeking. You are expecting. And when you're expecting, Jesus said, Asking you'll receive, seeking you'll find, knocking the door will be open. There's, there's something that happens when people are filled with expectation. I know that sometimes we have a short expectation and, and something happens right away. And other times there's a, 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 an endurance, a long suffering, a, a holding fast and holding tight to God's promises that, that causes us to expect for longer, but we see the result, we see the harvest of what we've believed. So today... As I start you off in Micah, I just want to think about and, and remind you of what you see all over the place this time of year. You know, downtown, I don't know what they're going to do this year. Maybe they've already put them up, but typically we see um, snowflakes and sometimes stars, and sometimes you see a dove, which is really cool. What, to, to you, what does a dove represent? Peace. So usually if you see a dove on a Christmas thing, right? Usually a dove and then it says peace on earth, right? And we all know where that comes from. It comes from the announcement of the angels where they said, for unto you this day is born in the city of Bethlehem a, a Savior who is Christ the Lord and this will be a sign for you. And they talked about it, but they, they came, what's the first thing they said? Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, and goodwill to men with whom he's is pleased. We, we always cut that last part off. Because when we talk, with, if you remove God from the equation, when we're saying peace on earth, goodwill to men, we're assuming that we need to do that. That that, that we're wishing, and that's all it is, right? A nice wish. You know, you always have these like corny Christmas songs that say, well, I wish that wars would never start. Well, wars are starting. You know, a wish doesn't really do much. A prayer does a lot, but a wish doesn't do a whole lot of anything. But let, let me just ask you a question. Who's bringing peace on earth? Who's bringing goodwill to men? And people say, well, it's Christmas. We should all have goodwill to one another. That's not what the angel was announcing. The angel was announcing something far more powerful than just like one day we take a break from fighting. No, I'm glad that the British and the Nazis played soccer on Christmas Eve during the Battle of the Bulge. But that didn't fix anything. The war didn't stop. Played soccer and then they started killing each other again right after, right? I mean, it didn't stop much of anything. What we're talking about is not a human-based peace. It's not something we've been able to accomplish. What we're talking about is a cosmic uh, 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 rumbling, a uh, divine uh, um, revival and awakening, something that happened that changed everything. It's something God's been promising since the first sin that he was going to make things right. In every other religion and every other dogma, we would say, well, you need to make, some, you need to make it right. You broke it. You break it, you buy it. You broke the planet, Adam and Eve. You fix it. They've got no ability to go by pottery barn rules. They can't do that. They can't fix it. They can't buy it. God doesn't say, you've brought this curse into the world. You've brought sin into the world. Now you're going to have to come up with a pretty good plan to fix it. He says, I'm going to fix it. And one of the first things he says to Eve, he says, Eve, this is going to be hard. Because I put you in a world without curse. I put you in a world with, full of my blessing, my life. Now you're going to feel the effects of curse. This is not God putting it on the world, it was human beings that brought it. He says, Now it's going to be hard to give birth. It, there's going to be strife and fighting. But he said, there's, there's this one truth. And he points to the serpent that has been just totally humiliated in, in the garden. He says, The serpent's going to crawl on his belly. But, belly. but he says, And the seed of this woman is going to crush the head of this serpent. And though the serpent will bruise his heel, his head will be crushed. And the reality of that promise is that Jesus would come, the seed of the woman. I don't know if you know much about anatomy or biology, but women, female, don't produce seed, right? Like that's not how it goes. So it's kind of weird to say seed of the woman, right? Now you could go, well, he obviously means descendant. But I think, I think it's very, very uh, uh, fitting that Jesus is the one guy that's born on the planet that doesn't have an earthly dad. He's born of a virgin. You know, God could have said, you know, out of this man is going to come a, a savior. But he said it from this woman. And that was the promise of Jesus, that though his, his heel was bruised, though he suffered, though he was put to death, though he was tortured, that in the end, even though his heel was bruised, his heel crushed the head of Satan, yeah. defeated him, and brought peace. So in Micah chapter 5, let me set this up for you. Micah prophesied during several administrations. Um, and if you look at the beginning of the book of Micah, he tells you, Uh, which kings he was around for. But he's not born into a nice time in Judah's history, in Israel's history. During his lifetime, Israel would have been totally taken out of their homeland. So there's, as we understand it now, the nation of Israel, right? But Israel itself was split into two parts after Solomon's death in the reign of Solomon's son eventually the southern kingdoms the southern kingdom of Judah was separated from the northern kingdoms which became known as Israel so you had two kingdoms the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah Judah was where Jerusalem was and Judah for the most part stuck a little closer to God than Israel did which is why they lasted a little longer than Israel did so the people of Judah are still israelites right they're still hebrew people they're they're not not israelites but just for the sake of clarity, they called Israel the northern kingdoms. And during Micah's uh, tenure, during his time on the earth, uh, he saw some of these things begin to happen. He began to prophesy about these things, began to see them ahead of time. Other guys that were around in similar time, Isaiah was prophesying during the, the reign of, uh, we know, reign of Uzziah, reign of Ahaz. And, and in this time of great strife and great turmoil and great danger, right, Because the the Israelites in the north, eventually what happens to them is that they're going to be surrounded, besieged, and eventually taken over by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians aren't going to be nice about it. The Assyrians are some of the most cruel army you've ever heard of on the planet. They bragged about how cruel they were. And they take the Israelites out. We can look at historical documents of, of Sargon and you know, Sennacherib and these guys where they, they bragged about uh, uh, the Israelites that they sent as slaves to other parts of their empire. Judah hung on for a little bit longer. But Micah is beginning to prophesy about a time where Judah too will fall because the people refuse to turn to God. Every now and then they get a good king like Hezekiah. Keep the thing going. Keep the, keep, get the, the car back on the road for a bit. But even God said to Hezekiah, it won't happen in your lifetime, but pretty soon this whole place is going to be taken over. Eventually Babylon took over Judah and tried for a while to set up some puppet kings where these kings would rule on behalf of Babylon, pay tribute, you know, say, hey, we're, we're not going to fight you. We're, we're technically still the kingdom of Judah, but we're under Babylon. But a couple of those kings rebelled, and eventually that king that that led that last rebellion was taken to Babylon. His eyes were gouged out. He was tortured. And the Israelite people, the the kingdom of Judah, the people of Judah, were taken as as, as slaves, as prisoners back to Babylon. Not all of them um, stayed like prisoners. In fact, most of them integrated into Babylonian society, but that was what was happening. Micah was around before all this happened, but he was prophesying about it. If you read the book of Micah, it's not always a pleasant book. and They're filled with danger all the time. There's bad guys at the gates. They're they're a tiny little nation that's got empires after them. And right around this time, God uses Micah to prophesy about a Savior. He uses Isaiah to prophesy about Emmanuel. And, And this is the word that's ringing out. It's the word everybody's looking for, peace. Peace. Nobody feels peace. Nobody's experiencing peace. Nobody gets that warm, fuzzy feeling that everything's going to be okay. Every day they wake up with dread. But the prophets are saying there will be peace, but it's a different kind of peace. In Micah chapter 5, you'll probably be familiar with this um, passage of Scripture because we, we often read it at Christmas. It talks about Assyrians... Talks about other empires that are going to come. But right in the middle of, of danger, right in the middle of these, this bad news, says this in verse 1, Muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. Now that happened very literally to Zedekiah, but it also happened to Jesus. But here... In verse 2, it says this, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you're too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. This is the part where you start cluing in. He's not talking about a normal guy. Number one, he's, he's not even saying from Jerusalem. You now Jerusalem is where everybody's been hanging on to. Jerusalem is where everybody's been saying at least we're safe right here in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the center of power. Jerusalem is the center of their worship. Jerusalem is the place. If God's going to do anything, it's going to start here. But God says, no, in Bethlehem, this little place is too small to even be considered among the clans of Judah. From you will arise a ruler this is your first clue that he's not talking about the kind of peace they're thinking of. The kind of peace they're thinking of is, is a mighty ruler out of Jerusalem is finally going to get our armies right. Maybe we get the right strategy. Maybe we make the right alliances and we finally establish peace for ourselves. But he says, no, no, no. Somebody's going to rise for me, a ruler for me, one of mine. And he says, he's not, he's not a new, this is not a new birth, just a new person. He, his comings forth have been from eternity, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and he will shepherd his flock. In the strength of the Lord, of the strength of Yahweh, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, of Yahweh his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. This one will be our peace. He doesn't say he'll bring peace. He will be our peace. How do we know that's talking about Jesus? Besides the obvious. Bethlehem, coming forth from eternity. Well, then in the New Testament it says this fulfilled that. It tells us straight up this was a prophecy about Jesus, and it got people waiting. It got people expecting. There was a hope in in the worst one of the worst periods of their history. There is a hope that peace is coming, but it's not coming like you think. It's coming. And it's not coming uh, merely by a big enough army or the right alliance. It's coming in the person of this little baby that's born in a little place. This one will be our peace. The first prophecy in the New Testament coming from the mouth of a person is Zechariah. When he prophesies over his baby John. The first thing he says over his baby John is: is He talks about the, the he prophesies about what John will do, and that he'll fulfill the prophecy of being the voice crying in the wilderness. But he says this: You'll be the one that goes before him and prepares a way from the Lord for the Lord. And he says, "Sunrise from on high will visit us and shine upon those who've been sitting in darkness and the shadow of death, and he will guide our feet." into the way of peace. Angels announced that peace on earth. It's here. It's what you've been waiting for. We've been waiting for peace. Isn't that funny that we've been waiting for peace and yet you look around, peace isn't something that people would say they have very much at all. You talk about people, do you, do you have peace? Are you, are you walking in peace? Are you living in peace? And that sounds like a weird thing to say. What do you mean, am I living in peace? I to say, oh, well, you mean like inner peace? Like You mean like in the morning when I get up and do my breathing exercises? I'm like, no, but kind of, but no. Something deeper than that, right? Well, we, we live in North America. We have peace in Canada. There's nobody invading our shorelines. We might have to send armies somewhere else, but nobody comes here. So I guess we have peace, and yet... That's not the peace that's promised. That's not the big thing. That's not what's saving people from hell. It's not what's saving people from the turmoil, the war. Because when Jesus comes, that's instantly what they're thinking of. I mean, mean, the disciples are thinking about these prophecies. This one will be our peace. And that moment that Peter has this revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. Remember, he goes, who do people say I am? You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. The son of the living God. And I'm sure when Peter said it, he's like marveling at himself that he said it. Because Jesus said, you didn't get this on your own, Peter. No offense, but you're not that bright. You didn't get this by yourself. Nobody is. Flesh and blood didn't reveal to you this, but my father revealed it to you. And then instantly after, we talked about this last week, instantly after, Jesus said, this is why, now you know who I am, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and suffer at the hands of the chief priests and rulers. And Peter immediately says, God forbid it, you shouldn't have to die. Now, we, we, we talked about it last week, how Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Peter's under the influence of Satan, but Satan's using Peter's own thoughts and emotions. He's, he's, he's not taking over Peter, he's influencing Peter. And Peter's thinking of these scriptures, probably. He's thinking about what he's learned about the Messiah. The Messiah comes and rules. The Messiah comes and brings the peace we're looking for. What's the peace Peter's looking for? He's not looking for peace with God. He's looking for peace, freedom from the Romans, freedom from all these people, freedom from from these people that have, have gone away from God, freedom from all this war, freedom from all this taxation, freedom from this. And Jesus says, you've set your mind on the things of men and not the things of God. Can you imagine why Peter was so upset when Jesus said he'd have to die? Because to him, peace only comes if we totally subdue all the war around us. Guys, this is our issue. Every time we're looking for peace, we look around us. If only this would stop. If only this person would get out of power. If only this thing would, would quit. If only this thing would start. If only I'd have this. And hopefully I didn't have that. We look around us and say, if all these things weren't happening, I'd have peace. But Jesus said, in the world, you will have trouble. But in me, you have peace. You will have trouble in the world. Get used to that. I don't care who's in power. Now, maybe some will be more trouble than others. Fair enough. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. Sin is is a disgrace to any people. I get that. But you will never set it up so perfect that we just don't have any trouble anymore. That is a fantasy, and you're living in a fantasy world. You need to wake up. Because as long as you're swinging at windmills with Don Quixote, as long as you're in this fantasy land, you're not really fighting the battle. You were born to fight. (laughs) Peace on earth. Peace on earth, when we see the signs. Is anybody driving down the highway and sees a sign that says peace on earth and go, well, that's news to me. (laughs) Is that right? Is that now? We're going to have peace. Sweet. I'm glad they put that sign up. It's fixed. Everything's done. We look at it and we say these things because we're really good at human beings at saying and singing things over and over again that we don't really believe. God wants to bring you back to a place of belief. I'm not joking, peace on earth. Goodwill from God. Not, no, he's not talking about goodwill between you and me, although that comes from that. But goodwill between God and me. God has goodwill for me. God, I, There is peace between me and God now. You see, here's the problem. The problem was never the war around you. It was the war inside of you. That's always been your problem. That's always been my problem. It's never been, and we blame everything else, but it's been the battle inside of you, the battle with sin, the battle, the fact that you did not have peace with God. If we don't have peace with God, you don't have peace at all. Right. So when Jesus came and he said, you guys remember, and I, and let's look at it for a minute because this will be fun. <laughs> Matthew. <laughs> Matthew chapter 10. Nobody reads Matthew chapter 10 and gets super excited right away. It's a slow burn. (laughs) You might have uh, subject headings in your Bible like the hard road before them. That's what it says for me. The cost of discipleship. Oh, I want to skip right now. I'll just skip the axe. Because everything went well for them. Matthew 10, 24 Well, actually, I'm going to skip down because we read that later. It's good. Matthew 10, 32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me, he's told them, he's just told them they're more valuable than a sparrow, and he cares a lot about the sparrows. But he tells them people are going to hurt you, people are going to throw you in prison, people are going to kill you. Don't worry. I'm taking care of you. Then he says this. He says Anyone who confesses me before men or everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I'll deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Don't think that I came to bring peace on the earth. Wait, what? That's kind of your theme song, Jesus. When you were born, it was the song everybody was singing, peace on earth. Then he goes and says, don't think I came to bring peace. And then later on he goes, I give you peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Well, Jesus, what is it? Do you, did you come to bring peace or not? I, I, you look up this word when he says, I didn't come to bring, don't think I came to bring peace. Actually, bring is not the best translation of the word. That me, the word literally means to throw or to cast something, like, like a net or something over something, like something that would cover everything. And what he's saying is I, my, my time right here right now During this time of ministry, before I go to the cross and I rise and I ascend, this time right now, I am not casting peace upon an unwilling planet. I'm not going to force everyone to bow right now. I am not casting peace upon you right now. In fact, I came to bring a sword of division. For I came to set a man against his father. What? A daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. This is all red letters. It's not me. Jesus said this to his disciples. And he talks different to his disciples, doesn't he? I would hope that Jesus can talk differently to you than he does to the multitudes. Yeah. You know, I know we're, we're welcoming and we love for people to come and visit. But I am speaking to you as believers. Yeah. If you're not a believer today, pay attention because this gets good. And I, I pray with everything and every fiber in my body that you would come to know Jesus today. Amen. But I'm speaking to you as disciples you understand something. Jesus is the one who got on to the Pharisees for not honoring their mom and dad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Jesus, so when you, when you read this in isolation, you go, wait, I'm supposed to hate my parents? I'm not supposed to get along with my family? Thanksgiving's supposed to be a nightmare? <laughs> Which is it, Lord? Jesus is not saying that. You, this is why you don't just cherry pick one thing. You, you, you look at everything he said, and, and all of a sudden it makes sense. His point is, there's going to be a point. If it, when it comes down to it, if your mom and dad say either you, either you re- renounce Jesus, what, how did he start the conversation? He started by telling them what the road was ahead of them, but he said, if you deny me, he says, you confess me. You, you, you say I belong to Jesus. I, I'll say he, they belong to me. But if you deny me, he says, I'll deny you. Like, he's talking about people saying, I don't know Jesus. I have nothing to do with Jesus. And he says, if it comes down to it, some of you are going to have to face the hard decision that your mom and dad will say. If you follow Jesus, you're no child of mine anymore. And you have to choose. Are you going to love me more than you love that relationship? That's a tough thing. But a lot of these people lived it out. Their land got taken from them. They were kicked out of synagogues. They were disowned from families. And so Jesus is not sugarcoating it. He's letting them know what's coming. So when we hear hate we think of like somebody that was just like I can't stand you but but when Jesus talks about it it's a contrast to which do you love more He's the one that's going to tell you you need to honor your father and mother you need to take care of them when they get old He tells you that Cuz they had Pharisees that were like this money's for God sorry dad no home for you, no, no, no special seat at the table. You, you're taking care of yourself. I dedicate this to the Lord. And he said, that, that's not what God wants. You're breaking one of the commandments. Yeah. Honor your father and mother. Jesus said that. Yeah. We read the New Testament and, and, and we see over and over again how God restores families and, and God turns the hearts. Remember what John the Baptist was sent to do to turn the hearts of the fathers and mothers to the kids and the kids back to the parents. That's part of his mission. That's what God wants. And yet Jesus says, I'm going to tell you, it's going to get hard before it's going to get easy. If you're really looking for peace, there's going to be a sword before there's peace. And the sword is a sword of division. It was prophesied over Jesus as he was being dedicated in the temple. It was prophesied over him that this child... Will be assigned to be opposed. This child is gonna cause problems. And a sword will even, he said, a sword will divide and it'll judge the thoughts and intentions of people's hearts, and a sword will even cut your own to your own soul, Mary. This was the prophecy. We don't say things like that about babies. We got baby, baby dedication next week. I'm not going to hold that baby up and go, this kid's going to be a problem for you. He's going <laughs> to cause you trouble. You know, a lot of people aren't going to like this kid. This kid's going to be really hated. How do you feel about that, mom, dad? <laughs> not so good. But this is reality. Here's the thing. Can you imagine being like, I have found this drug that I love. I hope you can't imagine it too well. But imagine that this drug is killing you. It's not hard to imagine. Some of you have lived it. And a doctor tells you, if you continue to take this drug, you will die. Your organs are shutting down. You're dying. And you go, I, okay, well, what can you do for me? What if the doctor were to tell you, don't worry. If you get rid of this, if you stop taking this, you're going to get better. And you go, well, that's all I want. I want to get better. I don't want to die, Doc. Tell me how to live. Quit taking this drug. Well, doc, here's the problem. I really like this drug. Can you give me a way to live that also involves this nice drug? The doctor says, no, I can't. Well, doc, that's not the, I'm going to go to get a second opinion. Because I want to live, but I also want to keep taking this. This is, this is how we live all the time here in North America. Can you lay your hands on me and give me some peace? Sing that song that brings me peace. That's what Saul had. Saul had moments of peace where David would come and the demons would flee. But you know why he didn't have a lifetime of peace? Because he chose not to obey God, because he chose he was going to go his own way. I'm sorry, but the result of me going my own way is always the same. I am at war. I'm at war with God. I'm at war with myself. I'm at war with good. And so one of the best things, in fact, the best thing I can do is bow my knee to a good king and say, I know you love me, and I love you, and I bow to you. You're my sovereign. You're my king. You're my Lord. Jesus is Lord. Because around the same time that Micah prophesied this, Isaiah prophesied, unto you a son will be given. And he said, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, we've been watching too much Disney, so when we think prince, we think, well, that's the king's son or the queen's son. But prince, in their language, just meant a ruler. So you could be the ruler, and they call you a prince of your nation, right? He is the ruler of peace. And it goes on to say, and of his the increase of his government, and of peace, there will be no end. So, as long as his government is increasing, his rule is increasing, his peace is increasing. So I've said this to you before, I'll say it again. You can't have peace without the Prince of Peace. He's not the Prince of Peace, he's not the ruler of peace if he's not ruling. If do you think it's a coincidence that as his government, as his rule increases, peace increases? Do you think it's a coincidence that the only time we're actually going to have peace on the whole planet, lion lay down with the lamb, kids stick his hand in an adder's nest, people put their swords and beat them into plowshares, when's that going to happen? When Jesus comes and sets up his rule on earth. Right? We all want heaven, don't we? What is heaven to you? your favorite ice cream flavors, all lined up. <laughs> Let me tell you, a lot of people say, I'd like to think heaven is this. It doesn't matter what you'd like to think, it is or it isn't, right? I can go, I'd like to think Banff is a is, uh, tropical paradise. It's not. <laughs> but I'd like to think my Banff is. Your Banff could be whatever you want it to be when you go. But when I go to Banff, here's what my Banff looks like. No, Banff is Banff. It looks like it looks. You don't get to say, well, my heaven will be like this. No, your heaven won't be like this. Do you want to know what makes heaven so great? It's not your favorite flavor of ice cream. It's not cream cheese. It's not any of that. It's that God's will is always done. That's why heaven works. That's why heaven works. There's no sin. If sin came into heaven, we'd have just as much of a mess as we have here. Heaven is amazing because God's will is always done, so everything is perfect, and yet here on earth we go, God, I know your will, but I don't really want to do it, but Lord, can you just give me a word that tells me this year is going to be heaven on earth for me? 2023, heaven on earth for me. Praise the Lord. It rhymes. That means it's God. Check mark. All right. Put your hand on me right now. Pray that over me. Anoint me with oil. Blow on me with Holy Spirit wind. Burn some incense or something. Anything you can do to make this my reality. But what did, what did John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, prophesy? He will guide our feet into the way of peace. There is a road of peace, and you can't get on it unless you turn your feet. Somebody is guiding my feet to peace. And Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He said, how I wish I could have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. How I wish you would have known the things which make for peace. But now they've been hidden from your eyes. And a nation will raise up siege weapons against you and barricade and hem you in. Because you missed your day of visitation. They didn't miss their day of visitation in that Jesus didn't come. They missed their day of visitation because they didn't respond to him when he came. Everybody in this room has had a visitation from God. If you say, no, I haven't, you're here now. God's here now. The word is being preached now. And there is a war inside of you, and I'm very familiar with it because it's been fought inside me as well. Not just before I came to Jesus, but after I came to Jesus, the same war. Do I do my own thing or do I do God's thing? You won't have peace if he's not ruling. This one will be our peace. It doesn't say this one will give us peace, even though he does. He will be our peace. Don't think I came to cast peace upon the earth. I came first to bring a sword. If you want peace, you have to accept the sword first. What is the sword? I'm not talking about waging war on some nation somewhere. I'm talking about the sword within your own soul. The sword within your own soul. What is The the scripture is a sword. Isn't it? Judges the thoughts and intentions of your heart. You're laid open before God. The sword that was Simeon prophesied about baby Jesus. This child will be a sign to be opposed. The sword will divide. I'd like to just... Imagine that we never fight that war ever again, but I think every day you wake up and you choose who you're going to serve. Every day you wake up. Now, I know you said Jesus is Lord. That's how you got saved. You believed in your heart. You confessed with your mouth. I know that. You have confessed him as Lord. Now live with him as Lord. Yeah. Let, me, let me clarify something. Your actions don't give you Peace. What Jesus did for us gives us peace. You can't live a good enough life to earn peace. We have only earned war. But Jesus, in his great love for us, and his great mercy for us, became our peace. That's what it says in Ephesians. He himself is our peace. Here's what it says in Colossians chapter 1. Listen to this. Ah, oh, what a promise. What a what a What a Savior. I know for a fact that many of us in this room have felt the turmoil and the war. Maybe more than usual when the season gets busy and crazy. Kids act up. Spouses fight. People get caught up in the stress of something that's meant to be a holy season because we've accepted the world's version of it. Because the world's version is cram it full of stuff. Cram your calendar. Cram the boxes under the tree. It's all about cramming. I like to give gifts to celebrate the king. But we all know, listen, we're not playing, we all know it can really easily become about that. Not the worst thing in the world to take a step back. Say, what are we doing here? It says here in Colossians 1, verse 13, he rescued us from the control the domain of darkness. He transferred us To the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on the earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile all things in himself. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. Listen to that again. Having made peace. He won it. He didn't just bring it by saying, can't we all just get along? He fought for it. He died for it. He rose for it. He brought you that peace. It's been paid for already. He made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven and you, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, was made a minister. This is the peace Jesus won for you. Now, what he's mainly talking about is the most important thing, peace between you and God. That war is over. Thank you, Jesus. I have peace with God. He now views me as righteous. He now views me as holy. He now views me as his child, not because of anything I did, any prayer I prayed, but because I have now stepped into Christ. So I've got peace with God. That's what we've been looking for. But then he's reconciled all things into himself. You know, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, right? And maybe you've heard that their idea of shalom is a little bit different than ours. Our idea of peace sometimes is like lying on a beach with like solitudes playing. Packabell's canon and D, sound of the waves. And if you can't have that, just go in your basement, turn the heat up, put an eye mask on or a VR headset and pretend you're there, right? <laughs> Maybe I can empty my mind and just breathe and, and I'll have peace. But when you wake up out of that, you're still you're still in the same war. We're anxious and we're stressed. We're upset. We're angry. And the release valves for all that pressure come out in different ways with different people. A great release valve for that pressure is anger. I say great in that it's common, not that it's good. It's anger. It's fear. It's doubt and unbelief. It's all those things that make war against our own soul. That's what the Bible says. Stay away from the things that wage war against your soul. You have to know you're still at war. You have peace with God, but there's still a war around you. Because you live in a world in rebellion. You live in a a nation. When I say nation, I don't mean Canada. I mean the planet. In which there's a rightful king, but the world is in rebellion. And he hasn't put the rebellion down yet. He's announced his kingship. He's made a way for you to enter into his peace, and yet there's still war all around you. There's rebellion all around you. There's rebellion sometimes within you. We wonder, why, why don't I feel peace? Why don't I experience peace? Feeling peace is like the last stage of having peace. It's not the first. But we're all taking care of the symptoms, right? We're taking enough Tylenol that we don't notice the headache that's caused by the tumor. The problem isn't the symptom so much as it's the cause. And so the symptom of not having that shalom, that wholeness, that nothing missing, nothing broken, that now things are back to the way they were created, that Jesus gave you that shalom, that wholeness, that perfection, that restoration. But we don't experience it because we have a choice whether I walk in that reality or whether I walk after the flesh, whether I say, God, I want your will, Jesus, I want to hear your voice, or I say, no, I want my own way. you got dads that say, I want to rule my house. I'm in charge. I'm not going to let you tell me what the Bible says. I want to rule my house. I want us to do things our way. And you come off looking like a petty little dictator whose people hate them. Women who say, you know, now this is the way we do it because is the way my mom did it, the way my grandma did it. And so at some point, we all need to wake up and say, maybe it's the way we've never learned to do. But Lord, what do you want for our family? And when a mom and dad bow their knee, when a husband and wife bow their knee and get over themselves and start to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you will have peace. You will have that, that, that everything that God has promised. You will have the fruit of the Spirit in your house. And it may not happen overnight, but I promise you it's a promise from God. So let's stop fighting it. This one will be our peace. We've been waiting for peace. We've been waiting for you, Jesus. We've been waiting for you to bring us something we've been chasing all our lives. And to the people Micah prophesied, they're looking outside the walls, and Micah doesn't sugarcoat it. He goes, the peace I'm talking about is not going to come right away, and you guys are going to have a a really hard time. You're going to be taken prisoner. Your land will be taken away from you. But there is coming a child. There is coming a king. There is coming a ruler. He will shepherd his people. You read Psalm 23, and you see a picture of peace, don't you? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Right? You see him leading you beside still waters. You see him leading you to quiet pastures. You see him making you lie down. You see him setting a table for you in the presence of your enemies. You see him walking you through the valley of the shadow of death without fear of evil. For he's with you and his rod and his staff, they come for you. When you read Psalm 23, I can almost picture myself in the most peaceful place I've ever been in my life. And that's reality with Jesus. But remember, it starts with this sentence The Lord is my shepherd. You want everything that comes with that. You need the shepherd. You can't say, Well, you're not really my shepherd. You're more like my buddy. I like to think of you as my friend. Well, he is your friend, but he's your shepherd. Well, I mean, sometimes, Jesus, you have great advice, and I take it. But sometimes I got good ideas, too. Sometimes you tell me this is the path we walk on, but I don't like that path. I like this one. And it's mere coincidence that when I went down that path, a wolf chewed off my ear. Mere coincidence has nothing to do with anything. We fight them. The Lord is my shepherd. That's why I don't have lack. The Lord is my shepherd. That's why I'm able to lie down and rest and be safe. The Lord is my shepherd. That's why I'm able to eat in the presence of my enemies. And we're looking for war to stop around us. War will never stop around you, but war can stop within you. Jesus says, in the world you'll have trouble. In me you have peace. Can you imagine the insanity of somebody setting a table in the presence of their enemies? And just eating. Just eating. Do you eat when you're like in imminent danger? Sometimes you're in imminent danger because you ate. We should be driving or something. Right? We don't lie down if we don't feel safe. We don't eat if we don't feel safe. There, there's security in the shepherd. There is peace in his ruler and his government. Society is, 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 and I see here's the reason I don't talk a lot about society when I preach this is because society is not really your problem. We all want to blame society, it's not really your problem because Jesus already told you it was going to be like that. He said, But in me you have peace, come to me, take the peace I have. So we go, Well, society, government, teachers. TV, video games, yeah, yeah, all those things are contributing factors. But let me tell you something, those will always be bad. I'm not talking about teachers. My goodness, teachers. Teachers, I love you. I'm, I'm, I just used an example of maybe you're saying this teacher was not a great teacher. Come on. Let's just forget I ever said that, all right? We're erase And there's good government and all of that. But let me tell you, we always look externally and say, if this was different, I'd have peace, where Jesus says, no, look to me. I'm going to set a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Oh, if my enemies went away, your enemies aren't going away, child. But if they did, they won't. (laughs) Can we set a table in the presence of my friends? I like that better. It sounds like a birthday party. Pizza party. Psalm 23, uh, Jonathan translation. You set a table for me uh, of pizza in the presence of all my best buddies. And it's a good day. But that's not the Bible. In the presence of my enemies. You're looking for peace. Well, you're looking for a shepherd. You're looking for peace. You're looking for a ruler. And in our day and age, that's like the worst thing you could say. Let me just say it in a way that will be very blunt. You need someone to control your life. Now, immediately when we hear that, we go, I don't like that. Well, I don't like that. You do. You need Jesus. Do you know why that? You know why we hate to hear that if it was a person? Because nobody could ever do that like Jesus. People are flawed. People are imperfect. People are selfish. Jesus isn't. He's a good shepherd. And you know what he does? He lays down his life for his sheep. So Micah says he will be a ruler. He will be a shepherd. He will be our peace. Doesn't just say he'll give you peace on a Sunday. He will be our peace. We have a good king, and you have a kingdom. Receive the kingdom. Receive the King. If you're here today and there's a war inside of you, I want you to know I've been there too. If you're here, sometimes when we hear the word, we go, yes, Lord, I want that. There's an attitude of repentance. There's an attitude of expectation. There's other times we feel angry. Can't wait to get out of here. And I felt both. And I'm sure you have too. The truth will make you happy and the truth will make you mad and the truth will make you all the other things. Because if you're dying, the worst thing for you is just to stay comfortable and keep dying. The best thing for us is for a splash of cold water to wake us up and go, here's your reality. Come with me if you want to live. Get in the car. I've got a way out of this. Don't lay down in the ditch. Listen, we live in Saskatchewan. Where people have frozen to death. What happens right when they freeze to death? They're walking on the side of the road and they go, I'm sleepy. I want to lay down. I can't walk any further. They lay down in the ditch and they die. The best thing for you is to say, don't lay down. Don't quit. Don't die. There's life for you. Get in the car with Jesus. Say, I'm going. Where are you going? You going my way? No. Okay, I'm going your way then. Whatever way you're going, that's where I'm going. Lord, you're my prince of peace. Can we just rec- recognize there is a war within yourself and Jesus died to end that war. Yeah. There's a battle for your soul, but Jesus outclasses everybody else. It's not a fair fight, but he is a, he is a good shepherd. He's not going to force you. There'll be a day, friends, there'll be a day when every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Nobody gets to opt out. But right now, it's your choice. And like Moses set before the people, he spoke for God and he said, choose this day. I set before you life. I set before you death. I set before you blessing. I set before you cursing. Choose life. See, God gives you the answer sheet. Choose life. And today I want you to choose life. Choose life every day you wake up. Choose life the next time you talk with your, your loved ones. The next time you talk to your enemies. The next time you go to work, choose life every day. Choose the way of Jesus. That's the way of peace.